Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now here's your host... Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight I've got three great guests that I can't wait to share with you. First up with me, I'm going to get a return visit from Champions Tour Pro and 2011 U.S. Senior Open Champion, Owen Brown. You guys know that Owen is one of my favorite guests here on the show. We love his stories and his insights. Always outstanding every time he joins me. Tonight, I want to get his thoughts on the new rules, right, including the violations and all the confusion right now regarding caddies lining players up, particularly when they're putting on the green. We had another penalty called for that last weekend at the uh, Phoenix Open. The penalty was ultimately retracted, which is interesting to me. I want to get Owen's thoughts on that. Plus, I want to hear what his goals for 2019 are and his thoughts on this year's U.S. Senior Open being played at the Warner at the Warren Golf Course on the campus of Notre Dame. How about that? Notre Dame's hosting a, a, US, uh, a U.S. Senior Open and a major, so I want to get his thoughts on that as well. We'll talk about those things plus a whole lot more when he joins me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from the wedge guy, Terry Kaler. Terry, as you guys know, was previously the CEO of the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. I'm going to talk to Terry about the innovations, or maybe lack thereof, with wedges over the years. We'll also talk about how you know, right? How do you know if you got the right bounce for your wedges and your wedge set? You got the right ones, you got the wrong ones. We'll find out how to figure that out. Plus, with all the wedge grinds out there now, out there now, how do you know which grind is the right one for your game? So we'll talk about all of those things. Plus. A little bit more when Terry joins me about 20 minutes from now. And then we'll wrap up tonight's show with a return visit from my long-lost cousin, John Mascari. You know, you take the I out, you replace it with an O, which, uh, you know, we all know happened several generations ago at Ellis Island, not not all that infrequently. So you do those things, boom, we're related, right? So looking forward to having my cousin back on the show. John is a uh, PGA professional up in New Jersey. He is the head golf pro at Alpine Country Club. He spent some time down in Orlando at the PGA Merchandise Show a couple of weeks ago, so I want to get John's thoughts on what he saw while he was there. Also want to get some short game playing tips from him as well. So look forward to having Cousin John back on the show with me about 40 minutes from now. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you all so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. But before we get started, I want to wish my mother a very happy birthday. Today is her birthday. Mom, thank you for always being there for me and for everybody in our family. You're a tremendous mom and a wonderful grandmother. 
We are all so very thankful for you. I hope you're having a very wonderful day. I love you very much. I also want to remind everybody out there about my good friend Mitch Lawrence and his podcast called Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host Darren Bunch let you know about great places to stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're there. Again, their show is called Talking Golf Getaways. Now, it's moved over to a new site, Golf Trip X, and the X stands for experts. So, Golf Trip and the letter X.com. Go there and check out their show and learn about some of the hidden gems and some of the wonderful courses to play around the country. His brother, Matthew, also fantastic. He has a great golf show as well called Backspin Golf. Now, the show's on hiatus right now, which is driving me nuts. But the show typically airs on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. It airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. I think Matthew might be back in uh, in a month or so. But you can go online to WLXG.com and stream his shows as a podcast. You can check, you know, catch up on anything you might have missed last year. And you're going to love the show because Matthew is just so much fun. Again, you can find it on WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. And, folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our friend Steve Rondonero about what they've got going on up there this winter. Play the course's champions play at French Lick Resort. Laura Davies won the 2018 Senior LPGA title on our Peak Die course. Colin Montgomery won the Senior PGA title here in 2015. For an experience drenched in history, play our Donald Ross course, where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship. It's never too early to plan that next buddy trip to play legendary golf at French Lake Resort, the Midwest's premier golf destination. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLake.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they have up there and to book your stay as well. I also want to tell you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron of either their Fort Worth, PTX, or New Edge irons. Go out on the range and compare them to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out, again, their line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their semi-annual sale going on right now. Save up to 50% on some of their clothes. Plus, their early spring collection is out, and it looks fantastic. Got my eye on some of their polos and their sweaters. See what I'm talking about by going online to BobbyJones.com. All right, now back in making his sixth appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Owen Brown. Let me remind you about Owen's background. He's from Washington, D.C. He attended Occidental College out in L.A., and he joined the golf team as a sophomore and gradually moved up to be their number one player. He was named a first-team all-conference, all-SCIAC golfer in 1980 and 1982, and he received an at-large invitation to the NCAA Division III championship. He was inducted into the Golf Hall of Fame in 1997, and their Golf Annual MVP Award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984. He won four times on what was then the Nike Tour, twice in 1991, once in 93, and again in 96. He's won three times on the regular tour at the 1998 Greater Hartford Open by chipping in from 40 feet to defeat Stuart Sink and Larry Mize in a playoff. He won the 1999 Colonial and the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship. 
In 2005, he won the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year Award. And over the course of his playing career, he's had five wins, 46 top 10s, and 108 top 25s. Included in those five wins are two so far out on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open and the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship here in Atlanta. Kicked off the 2019 season a couple of weeks back with a tie for 20th at the Mitsubishi Electric Championship out in Huaylai. And he's the coolest internet jockey you'll find anywhere. And I am thrilled he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, all, and thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And, uh, you know, every time you said this is my sixth time back on the show, I can't believe you keep inviting me back. I guess I haven't said anything really <laughs> stupid but online, but they're on air. So I'll try and do it tonight. It helps you out. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, don't feel like you have to now. I mean, I love having you as part of the show, my friend. So stick with you know me now. I, I heard you. I heard you in the intro pumping uh, French Lick, and we played the senior PGA there. I got to tell you, and I got to tell your the listeners how good the hotel there is. It's an old school hotel. You know, high ceiling rooms and great restaurants. There's a lot going on. There's a lot there for not only golfers but for the family, the kids, and it's a it's a heck of a resort. Yeah, it is. I, I had the privilege of going up there a couple of years ago, and we spent some time with the family there. It's absolutely fantastic. They've got two uh, hotels there on the property, plus they've got a casino, and then they've got the Pete Dye course, and and uh, you know all the all the golf courses on site are just absolutely outstanding. So kudos to you. Thank you for saying that. I'm sure they'll appreciate it very much. I want to start our time with you tonight by getting your thoughts on the new rules, particularly about the caddies lining players up and penalties being assessed around that. We've seen it have a big impact on uh, Hao Tung Lee a couple of weeks ago. And then just this past weekend at the Phoenix Open, Denny McCarthy was assessed a two-stroke penalty, which was ultimately rescinded, which I find very interesting. But do you understand the rule and how it's being handled? Is it being done properly? What's your thought? Well, I haven't uh, I haven't been confronted with the situation yet. I, I of course, saw what happened on Hao Tung Lee up in uh, – in, uh, the Far East a couple of weeks ago, and then what happened to Denny McCarthy? Uh, I guess I guess the nicest way to put it is there's a lot of confusion about what's going on, and um, and I think I think that the powers that be, having seen the way things had been going the last couple of weeks, decided to take a step back and do a reevaluation of things, find a better way to apply the regulation. Certainly, what happened to Denny McCarthy in Phoenix looked. Uh, I, I, it's it's plainly obvious there's no intent, which is what they're trying to deal with. They're trying to deal with the intent of a caddy aiding a player to the extreme, right? And it's it's obvious uh, in Denny's case how you know he made a couple practice swings, then he backed away. The caddy was already out of the picture. You know the rule uh, I guess is written in such a way that that didn't have an impact in the assessment of the violation. But uh, I think that the players were really vocal. In uh, their pushback on it, I think that the uh, officials on the PGA Tour um, passed that information along to the to the powers that be, and maybe they thought they needed to reevaluate and uh, have a you know clearer parameters going forward. But certainly, I'm speaking secondhand. I don't I haven't had the experience myself, but it certainly you know looks confusing. And and to your point about them assessing the penalty and then rescinding it the next day. You know, I, I've got a short, a bad short, short and long-term memory, but I can't ever remember uh, an infraction um, holding a, a shot penalty or a two-shot penalty or whatever it is 
and then 24 hours going by and and the the uh, infraction being rescinded. So uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, I think the intent of the of the regulation is to ensure that the player is dealing with that kind of thing on his own, that he's the one who's setting up to hit the shot and he's not getting aided by a caddy. And, and I, I just think they're trying to get their minds around it right now. Oh, and what about the flag stick? Is that something you're going to use now when you're putting? How frequently do you, you anticipate using or keeping a flag stick in? I don't get it. I mean, get the flag stick coming out, uh, leaving, leaving the flag stick in. I, I, I take it out uh, as often as I can. Sometimes I pull it when I'm chipping. To me, if the hole's four and a quarter and the flag stick is a half inch, well, that's a half inch less room. And if the ball's coming in um, at, an, let's say, uh, an imperfect speed, the flag stick could help, right? But but I think I think we've seen lots of shots where, you know, you maybe hit a chip from off the green and it clanked off the flag stick and you said, Oh, if I'd have pulled the flag it would have gone in or I mean I think that's you know kind of anecdotal and um subjective, but I think there are a lot of people who believe that uh look, if you take a glass of water and you fill it to the brim and then you drop in a couple of ice cubes, the water overflows. So to me, if the flag sticks in, it's taking up space. I don't get it. Some of the other things that uh, we've seen going on, Owen, is I've I've seen some awkward-looking drops now that you can, you know, guys can now do it from from knee height. Do you think changing from shoulder height was something that needed to happen? I I don't understand the the need to go from uh, dropping it at shoulder height all the down to knee height. What what do you thought? Yeah, I I I don't I don't know. You know, some somewhere somebody came up with this idea. It looks to me when the guys are take, taking drops that they got stomach cramps. They're trying, you know, they're trying not to, you know, it's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, but the USGA and the RNA felt like this was going to facilitate pace of play. Now, I think I think a lot of these regs, these new rules are kind of circling the pace of play concern, leaving in the flag stick, for example, you know, m- maybe dropping from knee height and show, set a whole shoulder height so the ball doesn't carry them. And go more than two club lengths. Um, I think there, I think there's a, a lot of concern with pace of play, but pace of play can be solved. Nobody wants to solve pace of play. Okay. So every golf telecast is supposed to end at the top of the hour, whatever that hour is, whether it's five, six, seven PM, doesn't matter. As long as, as long as the tours begin play so that, so that there is room to finish at the right time, I don't think there's a lot of concern. With pace of play, they, it's been proven. Everybody knows who the slow players are. They don't want to single out the slow players. They don't want the officiating to kind of encroach on the competition. They don't want the outcomes to be determined by shots given or confrontations with uh, officials. And and as a result, they're trying to they're trying to figure out a way to deal with pace of play in in other ways. One of the other things, Owen, that we saw over the weekend was uh, Ricky Fowler taking a triple on 11 on Sunday because, you know, when he played, when he placed his ball over the backside of that green and then started walking away, the ball moved and rolled and rolled back into the, into the water. Have you seen stuff like that happen? What, what do you, what's your thought on that? It's clear that he didn't initiate the ball to roll. He didn't cause it to roll, but when you put the ball back in play, everything is subject to whatever Mother Nature wants. Have you seen that happen before, and what are your thoughts on that rule? Actually, I have seen it a couple of times over the years. You know, with golf 
with, with agronomy on the golf courses and and uh, shaved banks and so forth. That, those kinds of things can occur. For people who didn't see what we're talking about, you know, uh, Ricky had hit a pitch shot from just short of the green that didn't quite catch and, and released over the back edge of the green and caught some momentum going down a hill, avoided a bunker, ended up going in the water. Uh, it was a uh, penalty area, they call it now. I mean, it, it's still wet, still water to me, but it's called a penalty area now. <laughs> so he, he took his point of relief and uh, dropped it a couple times, and the slope was so severe that it rolled back into the penalty area, so he was entitled to place that ball. As that ball doesn't come to rest, he's entitled to move it to the closest point at which it can come to rest, and he did so. Uh, and the ball had come to rest, and then he climbed the rest of the hill to go and get a better better look at the at the hole. And uh, you know the the break of the of the chip shot he was going to hit, and when he was up on top of the hill, he turned and looked at his ball, and it got a little bit more momentum, rolled back down in the water. So he incurred another penalty shot. And uh, that's just one of the kinds of things that happen occasionally in golf. It was a really unfortunate break for him, but it did affect the outcome. And then ultimately, um, you know, he made a great putt for a, a triple bogey save, which really, if he doesn't make that, you know, now that changes everything the rest of the day. So um, th- that was one of those uh, unusual circumstances that occur occasionally in this game. And uh, it, it does happen. It's very seldom that it happens. But, yes, I have seen it happen before. Oh, and now talking more about you and, and what your plans are for 2019. Do you have a set of goals for 19? Are there things that you've got uh, earmarked that you're trying to achieve this year? Yeah, well, I'd like to play better than I did last year, but that's a pretty the, – the bar is pretty low on that because my year last year wasn't anything to write home about. I, I – uh, I struggle with some, you know, nagging stuff, you know, shoulder and elbow and stuff like that. Those seem to be doing better this year. And, you know, got, got the invite to Hawaii to start off the year, which is such a great place. I mean, four seasons, Hawaii, Big Island. The weather was absolutely perfect. It doesn't get any better than starting your year out there, in spite of the fact that it takes three days, three trains, two horse buggy rides, a couple of cabs, <laughs> and a, you know, to get there. Uh, it's still a beautiful place. I've got good friends there. And so, it was good to start the year there. Um, this year, I'm starting 60 mid-year, which is a little bit of shock of a shock to my system. Uh, but as my kids will tell you, I may be 60, but I'm still very immature. So I figure that'll carry me <laughs> for a while longer. And uh, I just like to, I just like to, you know, continue working on the things that I can do to make myself a better player. Obviously, my skill set is, you know, slowly comp compromised over the over the course of time i mean that's just life everybody has to deal with that and uh i still love what they do uh i'm motivated to play well and uh so that's because my goals are kind of nebulous at best except that i just want to play better i want to get in the winner's circle again and uh i want to you know i want to contend more I, i i didn't play very well last year there were a variety of reasons why that didn't happen uh and i'm addressing those and hopefully i have a better year this year to take that a step further, Owen, are there things that you're working on to improve your game over last year? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think that as you get older, it's hard to stand on the range and get five, six, seven hundred balls a day. I mean, there's still guys who do it, but they don't last very long at our age. And so they're, you know, I spend, I spend more time on the putting green. I spend more time in the short game area. Uh, those are important. You know, those are the scoring areas. I, I, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna obliterate a golf course with my driving. You know, I'm gonna, I get, I stand on the team and use the driver to get the ball in place so I can hit a quality iron shot within range 
where my putter can make a putt. You know, that synthesizes the essence of golf, right? I mean, that's what it is. It's about keeping the ball in front of you, getting it into position where you can, uh, where you can score and shoot a good score. And so, uh, certainly the last couple of years, I've dedicated myself more working from the green back towards the tee. I, you know, I'm still obsessed with, you know, hitting it farther, just like everybody else. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, I'm just, I'm just, trying to get the ball in play so that I can get it somewhere near the hole so that I can make a putt. And if I, if I putt like I'm capable of putting, I can contend any given week. Um, you know, historically, my, my, my tournament wins have been on the harder courses, the courses that are a little bit more demanding to the green. And I, I, I keep the ball in play out of the rough and out of the trees and make a putt here and there. And lo and behold, sooner or later, you know, the stars align and whoop, whoops, I, I get to hoist the trophy. So that, that's where I stand right now. And that's what I'm looking forward to doing this year. And like you mentioned a moment ago, you, you will turn 60 this year. Is 60 bothering you? Um, no, just the way I feel, you know, <laughs> tough aches. You know, you wake up some mornings and you go, well, that wasn't bothering me yesterday. Um, no, 60 <laughs> doesn't bother me. So, and you guys are in uh, Boca Raton this week for the Oasis Championship and then over to Naples next week for the Chubb Classic. And my good friend Tom Patry is over there in Naples saying, and he always says, putting in Florida isn't really putting because you're doing it on Bermuda grass. Do you find it more challenging to putt when you're down and you guys are making the Florida swing? Well, there's some elements that are different on Bermuda grass than there are on grass or on Poana. But I will say that in particular in the last probably 10 or 15 years with the evolution of Bermuda hybrids that the grasses that we see are so much better than they were. I mean, common Bermuda was a horror show back in the day, right? Uh, it's like putting on Kukuyu. It was thick and coarse and grainy. And if you didn't understand what it does, how it grows and how it affects the putts, you couldn't make, you couldn't make a, a, putt, a putt from 18 inches. All these tiff eagles and tiff dwarfs and mini verdes and you know, whatever else they've conjured up here in the last generation of, of, uh, agronomy, uh, the surfaces are so great. Um, and, and they can get speeds almost to the unplayable. I mean, regularly at my course here where I practice at home up at Hope Sound, uh, we have greens that are in the 13 plus range on the stint meter, which is just lightning fast. And, uh, and so it, it, once you develop a knack for for putting, for reading the, the conditions on a Bermuda grass green. Uh, I don't think that's any more difficult to putt than bent grass. And, uh, but of course, I've been down here the last 35 or six years uh, learning it. And, you know, th- those kinds of things are, are a process. They do take time. Well, and your friend Paul Azinger has taken over in the booth now for Johnny Miller. What can golf fans look forward to with Zinger calling tournaments now? Uh, well, Johnny, you know, is, a, is kind of an icon in the business. I mean, he was the, the lead guy and the guy that kind of set the bar for everybody else. Paul has had a pretty good career out of himself. He did a great job when he and Nick Fowler were teaming with Mike Tirico over on ESPN, and then he's been over at Fox the last couple of years for the USGA series. Um, Paul's smartest guy, as I know. He's intuitive. He's, uh, I think I tweeted this out the other day. He's honest. He's sincere. He's colloquial, too. So he'll deliver, he'll deliver a piece of information to the viewer in a way that, that we can all understand. And I'll give you an example. He was playing in the Ryder Cup against somebody, can't remember who it was, but the guy tried to pull a fastball on him. And instead of saying that guy really ticked me off, he said, my face got hot. 
Well, everybody knows what that feeling means, right? And so he has a way of delivering a message that is understandable, not just to golf fans, but to everybody. And he's also very insightful and, uh, has a, has a kind of a, he's got a good sense of humor and a, and a interesting way of looking at things. So I think, I think he brings a lot to the table and I don't think NBC will be, be, um, missing a, uh, a, a beat at all with, uh, John, uh, Paul taking over for Johnny. And Owen, as we look ahead to later this year, we've got the U.S. Senior Open going to be played at the Warren Golf Course out at Notre Dame. You ever you ever played there before? And is it going to be different playing a major at a college golf course? I haven't played there, but I've gotten some scouting reports. It's a core Crenshaw. Um, I've heard it looks like it's been uh, growing for a hundred years. The trees are all. Uh, you know, they're all mature and the holes look like they've been there forever. I honestly don't know if it was a redo or if it was a, a you know, an initial project, but I, I have great respect for, uh, Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw and the work that they do. I really enjoy, uh, their style of, of golf course. And I have a lot of respect for a guy like Ben who has such a, such a deep and, uh, uh, historic love for the game of golf, and he he takes that and he applies it when he when he participates. You know, he and Bill do their collaborations on these golf courses, and I just I fully expect to see as good a golf course as we see all year, and on the campus of Notre Dame or adjacent to it or whatever. It's going to be in a great part of the world for us, and I'm looking forward to playing there as I do every year for the U.S. Senior Open. Owen, just a couple more before we let you go. And you've got your son, Owen Brown Jr., uh, playing out on the McKenzie Tour now. Talk about the state of his game. Yeah, he's actually uh, matriculated to web.com. He uh, is down in Panama this week. This will be his first start of the year, and he's excited. He's been playing really good golf. He actually uh, had to qualify to get into the tournament, but he shot a really solid round of golf at Weston Hills, shot 64, was medalist. Uh, down there qualifying, and he, uh, he's been playing very well down here on the local mini tour, the minor league tour. He won, uh, he won a couple of day event last week. I think he shot, uh, 11 under for the two rounds, ended up winning by a couple. Um, and he is, you know, he's again, you know, chipping away at the edges of what he wants to do to make himself better. You know, it's everything, everybody shows up in this game as a rough cut diamond. And, um, or not even a cut diamond, just a rough, a rough diamond. And you chip away at it until you, until you get to the place where you want to be, where you can apply your skills and showcase them. And so, uh, you know, I've been really enjoying being part of his journey and it's a long, it's a long process, longer for some than others, but you know, he's still a young man and he's showing some signs of, of uh, really getting better. He's improving every year. That's really all you can ask in this game. If you hang in there long enough, you're going to catch a break and you can take advantage of your break and then you're on your way. And the Brown family is, continues to be even more talented. Your daughter is one heck of a singer. Talk about her. Yeah, Alexander has a lot of fun with that. She's a singer-songwriter. She's uh, done some production of her music in Nashville, Los Angeles, New York, too. Uh, she just released a new single called uh, Rain in California. It's up on iTunes. Uh, Spotify, it's, 
she's got a station on Pandora, Alexandra Brown Music. Um, and, uh, you know, she's really, I think she's got a lot of talent. She has a lot of fun with it. And uh, I'm hoping that she gets to achieve every uh, extent of her dreams that she's looking for as well. And uh, you are the finest internet disc jockey on the planet. You always throw out something in the morning. So uh, what's uh, what are some of the favorite songs that we might be able to look forward to that you might put out there in the next couple of days? Oh, that's it's a great question, Chris. You know, I mean, I, sometimes I get inspired when I've, I, I've heard a song I haven't heard in a long while or I hear uh, a new band that uh, I've never heard of. You know, like, for example, the Patriots won the Super Bowl the other day, so I played Three Doors Down Kryptonite because it doesn't matter <laughs> seemingly who they play, but they're Kryptonite to the other team. And, and, and what a run they had. You know, Coach Bill Belichick, who I played with at uh, at Hartford in the, in the Pro-Am years and years ago, we kept in touch. Um, I, I have so much respect for for the job that guy does. And just when you think he's going to zig, he zags. You know what I mean? So this is the year of the highest scoring offense. And he's going toe to toe with, with, uh, for example, Kansas City in the season. They, you know, it's like a 43 to 41 game or something like that. And, and then, you know, they, they just absolutely mauled, uh, the LA Chargers in the first round or the second round of the playoffs, uh, their first game. And then they went into Kansas City. And had to take down the Chiefs again in, the, in a pretty high scoring at 38 points in the fourth quarter. And then we have the lowest scoring Super Bowl in the history of Super Bowls. And well, I've been fighting off all the naysayers here the last couple of days. They've been talking about how great was this and that. It wasn't a boring game at all. It was a really exciting game. It was a defensive battle and it was a coaching gem on the part of both coaches. I thought that, I thought that LA handled their business too. They just, you know, they let, they let the Patriots score one touchdown, and that's basically the difference in the game. I mean, they attacked on an, another field goal late, but bottom line was the game was why you know it was tough. Nothing, nothing in the first quarter. Three, nothing at the half. Three to three in the third quarter, and then uh, and then the Patriots pulled it out in the end. So, um, lots of exciting stuff in sports these days. I, I think. Well, and. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Looking forward to catching up with you at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic, which is uh, going to be played here at TPC Sugarloaf. It actually takes place at least the first rounds on on my birthday, so I look forward to being out there and watching you play well at that event. And nothing would make uh, my birthday happier than to see you uh, at the top of that leaderboard. So I hope, well, you know I hope what? I that really happens. I do love that golf course. Greg Norman built, uh, designed it. Uh, used to be a, a, a stop on the PGA Tour. It's now a stop on the PGA Tour Champions. Another Mitsubishi extravaganza who's a great supporter of PGA Tour Champions. And I always love coming up there, and I'm looking forward to coming up there this year, too. Hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Owen. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon, my friend. Happy birthday to your mom, too. Ah, thank you very much for that, Owen. Take care. You will. That's the great Owen Brown. And folks, I, I, you know, a finer individual you will not find. And, uh, I am certainly excited to, uh, see what he, uh, builds on. Again, finished tied 20th out at Huaylai and now get, getting into the Florida swing. So I'm hoping to see Owen at the top of leaderboards throughout this year. And, uh, and again, be sure to follow him at Owen Brown on Twitter because, uh, he got a lot of great stuff out there. And uh, again, what a great internet dish jockey. Always a great song to kick off your day. 
Look forward to having him back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Terry Kaler, I want to remind you about our friends at Superspeed Golf. Now used by over half of the tour players around the world, Superspeed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week are all you need to see a 5% increase in that swing speed. With sets for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction, Superspeed offers a complete solution to help you start bombing it off the tee. Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to pick up your set today. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our newest partners over at Two Under. I want to welcome our new partners at Two Under, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour, worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, but that's another story. And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effect, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. All right. Now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Terry Kaler. Let me remind you about Terry's background. He's from Quero, Texas, which is a small town southeast of San Antonio. Terry graduated with his degree in marketing from Texas A&M, and he was the founder and president of Ray Cook golf back in 1994. In 2011, he became the founder and president of Score Golf, which produced some of the most innovative wedges on the market with their V-Sold design. 2014, he revitalized the Ben Hogan golf brand and became their president and CEO for a few years. He has over a half a dozen golf club patents and nearly 100 iron wedge and putter designs to his credit. Terry has been known for years as the wedge guy and has written numerous articles and blogs about wedge play, and I am very thrilled. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Terry, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. So, Terry, it's, it's been a minute since we talked to you. Catch us up. What's been going on with you? Well, I've been uh, adjusting to semi-retirement, but I realized that you can only fish and play golf on the nice days. So I figured, what am I going to do on the days that aren't so nice? And started working on some new wedge things that I hope to have out later this year. Not sure with who yet. Not sure if we're starting a new company. Not sure if we're going to be uh, linking up with one of the established golf brands. But uh, the prototype testing and the and the design has been real exciting. Doing things that nobody's ever done in wedges before, uh, including me, which I consider myself uh, kind of a visionary in the category. But <clears throat> I won't beat on that drum too much till you ask about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Terry, to that end, right? I mean, we've talked in the past about how wedges haven't seen a whole lot of technology updates and new designs and things, you know, drivers, we see it all the time. Iron sets, we see it all the time. So wedge technology, and, and I know you may not be able to get into too much detail or whatnot, but can you talk about some of the things that you're seeing or thinking about that, boy, wedges could use a little help with this? Well, you know, just doing a, a little project, uh, going through the, the new Golf Digest hot list, uh, looking at, you know, what the little, little blurb synopsis was on all the wedges that made hot list. And, and there's, there's nine wedges in here. This is what really gets me. There's nine wedges in here that received a gold award. So they scored the highest. 
And of the nine wedges that received the gold, eight of them are talking about grooves and face texture. And, and that amazes me because the rules regarding grooves and face texture have not changed since 2010. So if you go look at last year's hot list and the year before and the year before and the year before and the year before, they're all talking about grooves and face texture. Well, if you were doing your homework in 2011, you were pushing that rule to the max. And how can you still be pushing your technology in grooves when the rule hasn't changed on what you can do? And I'm a little puzzled by that. The other thing that gets me, and, and again, I, I, a friend of mine told me I was the most respectfully irreverent guy that he ever knew. And so we'll use that term. I'm respectfully irreverent. And these guys all got to try to sell wedges and this kind of thing. But they all talk about increased spin. But I have been through every website on every golf company, and I cannot find anybody that will quantify spin as to how much more they're going to give you. But yet they're all talking about their golf ball has, you know, more ball speed. They're quantifying driver speed. They're quantifying their COR. You know, this is a game of numbers, right? And if you tell me you can give me more spin, I need you to give me a number. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think we push spin and face textures as far as the USGA will let us go. But when I look at the wedges in, I pulled out a, a 2012 hot list issue that I had kept, which is seven years ago, and they're all the same golf clubs. So, you know, I'm, I, I could do a whole show with you about why that is, but the fact is wedges are just, they're not changing enough. And you look at drivers and irons and golf balls and spikes on our shoes and, you know, there's a tremendous amount of technology being applied, but it's just not happening in wedges. So everybody's left to talk about their groove and face texture, I guess. So where is there left? What's, what's the new wedge frontier? Does it have to do with bounce? Does it have to do with, you know, thickness of the head? Does it have to do with shaft? Where do you see the next frontier for wedges? I think it's all of that. I think that, that we have to, th- without giving away too much, if, if your listeners, any of them know my work that I did with my score wedges and the work I did with the TK wedges for Hogan before I left there, you know, we can make a wedge more forgiving. Nobody, ta- you will not see a wedge ad anywhere that uses the word forgiving. And yet my conversations with thousands of recreational golfers, they, they suffer from their wedges modern wedges as they were 15 years, 20, 30, 50 years ago, wedges by their design are very volatile in that which groove you hit the ball on really has a big impact on what that ball is going to do. So uh, we see wedges on robotic testing that you hit it down in the third or fourth groove, you hit it two or three grooves higher, you hit it two or three grooves higher still, you hit it two or three grooves higher still, and you see these dramatic differences in smash factor and ball flight, traje- launch trajectory, spin. Uh, we, we've tested some wedges on, on a robot, to the top, uh, top brands of wedges. I won't name any of them, but they're top brands, uh, the top brand. And we see that depending on where you hit the ball on the face of the wedge, this is a, a full swing 54 degree wedge, just full disclosure. We saw spin variances as high as 60 and 65% from one impact wow. point to another, to another impact point 12 millimeters over, which is less than half an inch. And when you're getting that variance in spin and we're seeing a three to four degree different launch angle, we're seeing a 15, 18, 
reduction in smash factor. So, I mean, your listeners, and I know I don't know how many of you are out there, but you know that shot, the ball's sitting up a little bit, and you hit hit the ball, and you feel it high in the face. You know you've made high face impact. And before you even look up, you're wondering, how short is it going to be? Don't we all know that, Chris? Yes. Well, why does that have to be? I can make a driver that you can swing at 105 miles an hour and hit it anywhere on the face and get a pretty good result, but I'm giving you a wedge that you have to hit it on exactly the right groove every time to get the distance you're after. I mean, I, I just think that we need to throw wedges out and start over. Of what's the optimum way to design a high loft golf club for scoring? And that that's what I'm working on. So, Terry, uh, for so many of us who don't understand all the ins and outs of what our golf club does for us, when we get to wedges, there are a couple things that we hear a lot about. We hear about bounce now, and to your earlier point, we hear about grind. Let's start with bounce. How can we determine if we have the right degree of bounce that's suited to our game and our wedge sets? Well, you know, again, I get into my respectful irreverence again. Everybody talks about bounce fitting, and and the premise is once I know what kind of turf you play on, I can fit your bounce. Once I know what kind of swing path, you're a sweeper, a glider, a digger, these terms you're used. Well, my experience, and, and I'm benefiting from having analyzed over 50,000 wedge fitting interviews, so I, 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 li- I listened to 50,000 golfers in essence. and. They tell me that the turf changes from round to round, hole to hole, shot to shot. And over 80% of golfers say that turf is always changing. And the other 15%, I don't know where the hell they're playing because I've never seen a golf course had the same turf everywhere. I just haven't seen that golf course. And then they also tell me that the size of their divot varies, either accidentally because they're a 12, 14, 16 handicapper, or on purpose because they're a skilled golfer and they're hitting down steeper on some shots, shallower on others to make them all do different things. Well, if your swing path and the turf are constantly changing, how do you buy a bounce that works for you? And I would give this advice to any golfer. Never buy wedges without taking them to your golf course, not a golf course, but your golf course that you know and hit all different kind of shots from all different kind of turf that you encounter regularly, the bunkers you play, the rough you play, the fairways you play, the tight lies, the fluffy lies. You need to take a wedge out. And if if they won't let you demo the wedge for a week or two or three on your golf course, don't buy it. Now, the industry may hate me for that, but that's okay. But you have to see how that wedge performs on your golf course because I can put you on a launch monitor and tell you, oh, this wedge launches two degrees lower than yours. But what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I've been in this business for 40 years. I can't tell you what two degrees looks like. I can't tell you the difference between a 39-degree launch angle and a 41-degree launch angle. But if I see it on my golf course on wedge shots that I normally hit, I can tell you I like that ball flight better. I like the way that ball grabs the green better. I like the way that wedge works the turf around the green. The only way to buy wedges, I mean, I believe you should always buy your wedges in sets. You should really think about the lofts you need to get your gapping right. But you should try those wedges on your golf course with your game. And then we talk about shaft and then we can move on into that when you're ready. Yeah, no, go ahead. Talk about pick, picking out the right shaft. Well, 
again, taking the industry to task a little bit, I hate to be like the, the Grinch here, but, you know, they have this myriad of loft and bounce options in the store, but they all have the same shaft on them. So their theory is that we can fit the bouncing that always changes, but we shouldn't worry about fitting the swing strength and swing speed that isn't really changing. And I would tell you, for your listeners, if, if there's anything you can do to improve your wedge performance, it is to reshaft your wedges with a shaft that is either the same or closely approximates the shaft that's in your irons. I call it the seamless transition, but over half of golfers now, and more like two-thirds now, are playing lightweight steel, graphite, regular flexes. They're playing something different than dynamic gold stiff flex, which we used to be the gold standard. All wedges still are equipped with a heavy, stiff steel, stiff flex shaft. So if you're playing, if you've evolved like I have as I've gotten older, I evolved to lighter, you know, softer graphite shafts in my irons. Love them. Wouldn't play a steel shaft ever. But but you need a shaft in your wedges that lets you have a smooth transition from that set match P-club to, as I call it, to your first wedge, your gap wedge. Those clubs need to feel just alike. And if you're... Gap wedge is an off-the-rack club with 125-gram steel shaft, and your pitching wedge is a 105-gram lightweight steel R-Flex or a, even worse, a graphite. You're going to have a almost a two-ounce disconnect between those two golf clubs. You can't put the same swing on two golf clubs that, that weigh two ounces different. So, you know, get your line goal set, get the shafts in your wedges, you know, get them gripped properly, get the length right, practice like crazy if you want to be a good wedge player. So let's talk grind. We hear that word a lot now. They different different wedges have different grinds. What does that mean to you? And what should it mean to us? And how do we know if we have the right one? Well, it means to me that if I offer six different grinds in every wedge that I have in my product line, then the retail store has to stock my product line six times deeper. That's really what it means to me. Okay, so. But the fact so is, what again, that, you've, that mean? Well, I mean, if you've been into a store and see how many Titleist Vokey wedges are in the wedge display. There's like thousands of them, it seems like, because they have that <laughs> many. But until you can take a grind and you, you like the look of it, you know, hey, I think this might work for me. You don't know what works for you until you take it to your golf course. I mean, it's really that simple. You have got to take it. You certainly can't do it off of a mat. But and, and you can't do it off of a range because the range, the turf on the range is all about the same. But is your range the same exact turf as on your fairways and around your greens on your golf course? Probably not. So you have to experiment. I would say if you tend to take deeper divots, you want a grind that offers you a little more balance, a little more aggressive sole. If you are more of a sweeper, you play firm turf always. You never encounter a soft turf. Your, your bunkers are firm. You can probably opt for a grind that is a little, uh, a, a little less aggressive. The, the, the rank and file recreational player, the eight to 20 handicapper is not going to be able, in my opinion, my opinion, not going to be able to discern the difference between six different grinds, for example, or three different grinds. They can tell the difference between a real high bounce and a low bounce, maybe, but to get into the nuance thing, you know, it goes back to wedges are designed for tour players. And Phil Mickelson can tell you things about a wedge from the first shot that Ricky Fowler can and all these guys can 
because they spend three, four, five hours a day with a wedge in their hands practicing their short game. They know what to feel for. These guys are, are freaks. I mean, they're, you know, like Tom Brady. I mean, you know, where is this guy's, you know, where, where is his counterpart in the NFL? He doesn't have one. I mean, there are athletes that elevate themselves to the highest level of their art. You know, the, the James Harding, the LeBron James, the whoever's pick them out, pick the sport. And, but these guys are head and shoulders above their peers, much less head and shoulders above the rest of us that play recreationally. You know, I mean, you know, the guys that won the World Series have anything in common with the bunch of got beer drinkers that are playing fast pitch softball on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Terry, some of the other things we're starting to see in the industry uh, with wedges and, and uh, Callaway in particular has come out with, uh, with a, a wedge now that's got a high toe and it's got grooves all the way to the top. So with that different design, right, you've talked about hitting it on specific grooves. If you're going to make a wedge that has a higher toe and more of those grooves, isn't that just making the ability to hit the shot worse? Or is it actually giving you a better opportunity to make a, a quality golf shot? What are your thoughts on the high toe and grooves going now all the way to the top? Well, personally, I think it's a little gimmicky. Um but if you like the look of that and it gives you confidence, that's really what a golf club needs to do. My my experience is, regardless of what you do in the golf club, whether it's a driver, a five iron, nine iron, sand wedge, putter, there is a certain zone of success, we'll call it, on the face of that golf club that 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 area is not really that big. I don't care if you're playing a cavity back or a blade or whatever, but you can't hit it anywhere on the face of the golf club and get great results. And there is a, a, a little oval, typically, on the face of a golf club. Now, that oval may tilt from low heel to high toe, which it does on most golf clubs, that give you acceptable results. But the, every golf club has a single sweet spot, and it's the size of the head of a pin. That it, it, there's no club that's got a big sweet spot. What it has is a reduced deterioration, a reduced fall off, as you get away from impact away from that sweet spot. Does that make sense? So yeah. if I have, if I have a sledgehammer, you know, I can drive a nail with a sledgehammer and I can pretty much hit it anywhere on the head of that sledgehammer and make it pretty successful. But if I have a tack hammer, I've got to hit it really perfect because there's not much mass back there. Well, kind of a similar thing with a golf club. If I move impact so far out on the toe that I missed the grooves Having grooves out there is not going to fix that golf shot because I am so far off the center of gravity of that golf club, the center of mass of that golf club. I'm so far off of that, the club is, the ball is not going to get a decent transfer of energy. It's going to twist in my hands. It's going to have a very inefficient transfer of energy. It's not going to be a good golf shot. There's no substitute, regardless of what kind of club you're playing, there's no substitute for hitting it solid, close to the middle of the golf club as you can. Terry, I want to get a, a playing lesson or two from you. So when we're just off the green, 10, 20 yards or so, how should we decide whether we want to take a pitching wedge and hit a low bump and run, we need to take a sand wedge and hit the ball with a little more loft, or we or we should take our lob wedge and try to get all the way back to the hole? As uh, In wedge play, how do we make that determination? What should be the deciding factor? Well, I think there there's a way to approach every short game shot. And I think the first thing you do is look at your lie. 
Is it tight? Is it sitting up? Is it, you know, what's it going to let you do? The second thing is look at what is the turf like between you and the hole? How much of it is green? How much of it is slope? If, if you're playing a golf course that they water the greens and the water runs off to the front of the green and it's really soft in front of the green, you're going to have a hard time hitting the bump and run because it's going to be very unpredictable. If, if it's not mowed down, it's going to have an unpredictable bounce. I think you want to give yourself the highest odds of predictability and you want to play to your strength. So I think a lob wedge is a real stroke coster for most people because it takes a lot of practice with a lob wedge to really learn how to be good with it. Um, and, you know, you go look at the old guys, Crenshaw, Watson, Miller, all those guys. They didn't even have one. They did everything with a 55-degree sand wedge. They were pretty magical. It's a valuable tool if you'll spend the time to learn how to use it. But I think what you want to do is generally get the ball on the ground and let it roll. If you can let it hit the ground where you, it's pretty predictable what's going to happen to it. So when you're bumping and running through the fringe, and I have some friends that are very, very good at it, but occasionally, I, I'm not a big bump and run guy, but I will on occasion. But if the, if the golf course is managed turf wise with, you know, watering and whatever, that you can get a predictable bounce and you're comfortable with the bump and run, bump and run. But I think you need to read your lie, look at where the hole is. And if you're further out and you're deciding what kind of a pitch, my, my theory is goes back to Ben Hogan's teaching. If the pin is in the back of the hole, back of the green, bring it in lower and let it roll and hit it, you know, well over the collar and let it roll back to the flag. If the pins cut close, then you need to bring it in higher with a little more spin and you know, let the green be your friend and, and let it roll out. And I think also, uh, you know, one of the things I think that, Chris, is it's real important is how difficult of a shot do you have? And maybe the shot isn't at the pin. Maybe the shot is six feet right of the hole, six feet left of the hole, six feet beyond the hole to give you a better putt at par or birdie or bogey, whatever you're going to be putting for. You know, your that whole purpose of the chip or the pitch is to give yourself the most makeable putt you can. And if the if the best putt would be from behind the hole, then chip it or pitch it past the hole and give yourself that uphill putt from behind the hole. So people don't think about that a lot sometimes, but look at where the best putt's going to be. Terry, before we let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with what you're doing, right? Whether it's on a website, it's, it's on social media somewhere, we got to stay up to date so when you're ready to come out with uh, the things you're working on. We know about it. Well, I've got a, a website, thewedgeguy.com, that I haven't been real active on. I'm planning to get much more active, but you can sign up there and you can, you know, put your name down there to get get uh, updates when I post them. It's wedgeguy.com or thewedgeguy.com. Goes to the same place. And uh, I wrote over 700 articles as the Wedge Guy back in the early 2000s, and I've had more and more people contacting me and telling me, why don't you write again? Why don't you write again? And so I'd, I'm going to repurpose some of my old stuff that was most popular and, and address some of the new things like the things we've been talking about. Well, Terry, it's always a privilege getting to spend some time with you. Always a lot to learn, and uh, you're fantastic, my friend. I can't wait to find out what you've got cooking. Hopefully it's uh, it's some great stuff because obviously we need a lot more innovations in the wedge area and, and you're just a guy to do it well thanks chris and i will uh, definitely keep you posted and when i'm ready to to announce something we'll come back on but we don't have to wait till then if you uh get questions from any of your listeners that they want me to sound off on something we'll 
you know me, I'm never at a loss for words, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're the best, my friend. We'll have you back on soon. In between now and then, all the best to you and your family, Terry. You too. Thank you, Chris. Happy New Year to you. A little late, but Happy New Year. Same to you, Terry. Take care. That's a great Terry Kaler. And again, the wedgeguy.com or just wedgeguy.com. And boy, I tell you what, I'm very excited because whenever he does, and I've got some of his TK wedges from his days at Ben Hogan. And uh, as I've told the story on the show before, the very first pitch shot I hit with, uh, with one of his TK wedges went right in the hole. And I've been sold on his V-Sold design for his bounce. And uh, I think he's done a lot of great things. And I know whatever he's got cooking is going to be absolutely fantastic. So very much looking forward to hearing what's next with that. All right. We're going to try to get my next guest, Cousin John Mascari, on the line. He's having a little trouble dialing in. So uh, we're going to take a little station break. And then uh, we'll be back. And hopefully we get uh, John to join us on the show. I want to welcome our new partners at Two Under, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour, worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler. David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, but that's another story. And your girlfriend and or wife is going to love the side effect, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is my long-lost cousin, John Mascari. Let me remind you about John's background. He attended Ryder University in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, back in the mid to late 90s and graduated with his bachelor's degree in political science and government. From 2000 to 2012, John worked at some of the best golf courses around the state of New Jersey and New York, including Glen Ridge Country Club, Manhattan Woods Golf Club, the Colts Neck Golf Club, Hamilton Farm Golf Club, Canoe Brook Country Club, and Preakness Hills Country Club. He is now the head golf professional at Alpine Country Club in Alpine, New Jersey. He is also a member of Callaway's master staff, and he's been named a top 50 master teacher for U.S. kids. And uh, I am sure that uh, if you go back at the time in Ellis Island and you take the O off of my name, last name, or the I off of his, and you swap them around, we're cousins. And uh, I'm certainly thrilled he is back with me to- again tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, cuz. Thanks for coming back on the show. That is some introduction, let me tell you. Wow. <laughs> Can you hear me? Glad you like it. <laughs> Thank How you, Chris. Back friend? with you, Chris. I'm doing very well. How very well. Been? Thanks. I'm enjoying this uh, beautiful weather we're having in the New York area. Wearing shorts, going outside, chipping some balls today. It was great. <laughs> ah, good for you. So, uh, John, I, I know you were down at the PGA Merchandise Show a few weeks ago. Wanted to get your thoughts. What did you see while you were down there? I thought it was a great show this year, Chris. You know, it's, it's been something that I've been going to for quite a long time, and it's had its ebbs and flows of being well-attended or not so well-attended, but this was a really great show. I saw some pretty cool items. I tell you, one of the things that I saw, and I never thought I'd be saying this, but 
was scooters and bikes on the golf course. Did you hear about these things? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Sun Mountain has a electronic bike division now, and they, they've come out with this, this bike called the, the Fin Scooter. It operates on a, a lithium-ion battery, much like your cell phone, and, but can go 36 holes with a bag on it. You know, big, wide tires, not messing up the turf. I thought it was awesome. So any other technology, John, while you were there, you know, kind of reach out to you and say, boy, I got to get me one of those. I thought it was really interesting to see how many new launch monitors and simulators were at the show, even from last year to this year. There was a huge section looking about indoor golf and um, launch monitors and tracking software. And it's just a testament to where the game is going to, where people are looking more into having stuff indoors, less time consuming. Maybe they're having it in their house. Maybe they'll have it at their office. But, boy, it's exploded beyond belief. I thought that was really interesting to look at versus years past, and I'm sure it will only continue to grow. And, John, I know you're a Callaway guy, so I got to get your feedback. Have you uh, started playing the new Epic Flash driver? I have. I played three rounds with it already so far this year, and it is all that it's hyped up to be. And I'm not just saying that. It is awesome. So what about it is different or better? Are you seeing just, is it more distance? Is it a, a different feel? How do you feel? Like, what, what's the advantage, you think, of the new Flash? It's certainly a different feel and a little different sound off the face. Um, but what I'm really feeling is the ball jumps off the face of this club. Like I've never hit a, a driver before. It explodes off the face. It's got that, that flash face that they used. Uh, I think they used the Watson IBM system, artificial intelligence to come up with this perfect face for a driver, you know, off center hits, you know, a little bit in the heel, a little bit off the toe, still go a long way. And boy, it was, it just, like I said, improved ball speed. It was almost like giddy getting up there on the tee, just, I hit numerous 300-plus-yard drives, and I felt wow. like I could call my shot off the tee. And, you know, having that confidence where you can just be, I'm going to hit this up the right side, and I'm going to hit this up the left side, makes the fairway look a lot bigger and, and, and takes a lot of pressure off the rest of my game. <laughs> John, I want to get some, some playing lessons from you. And you mentioned being able to play inside and uh, being up there in New Jersey, and for all of us that are still trapped inside because it's too cold to either go out and play a round of golf or even get out on the range, how can we keep our games in shape for the rest of the winter? Well, I, I always feel like if there's anything that I want to keep sharp, it's going to be my short game, whether it's putting and chipping, because I can kind of do those indoors, whether it's in the basement putting a little bit or if I get a, a warm day or a rogue day where I can just go outside and hit some chip shots. It works. So I, I feel like that's the most important part for me is to keep that short game as sharp as I can. Like I said, it was it was 62 in New York City today, so I got I had a chance to get outside and, and knock a few putts around and chip around the green. So, you know, if you, if you can get indoors to a simulator, it's great too, but um, close quarters, you can always do your short game work. John, I want to get your thoughts. Sort of a theme of the show tonight has been talking about some of the new rules that have gone into effect, and we've seen some things kind of go sideways. So want to get your thoughts. When, you, when you've seen some of these uh, penalties for caddies, you know, being behind a guy or lining a guy up on the, uh, on the putting greens and that sort of thing, 
What are your thoughts? Have, have we gone too far? Is it a good rule? Is it a bad rule? Do we need to rethink it? What do you, what, you know, what's been I your think, thought as you see some of these rules? I think it's, I just think it's a process, Chris. You know, it's, I think the USG has good intentions with these changes. The rules of golf tend to be a little frightening to a lot of people. And I know the casual golfer doesn't play by them all the time, but I think this is still just the first step in something deeper going on. There's definitely going to be some amendments to these rules in the, in the coming years. As far as the, the stuff with guys and caddies and, I think they just have to get used to it at this point. I think it's a good thing. We're working on making the game a little more enjoyable, making it a little faster, and we'll figure it out. How about leaving the flag stick in? You leaving the flag stick in when you're putting <laughs> now or no? So funny story. So my first birdie of the year down in Florida with the flag stick in, right in the cup, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Four holes later, I have an eagle putt. It is going right at the hole. Rams off the flag stick and goes out. Well, I, I'm, I'm taking it out. I'm done. That was my one experiment. <laughs> it lasted about 12 holes. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. How about the drop? As I see you guys now, you know, some guys are squatting all the way down. Some guys, uh, some awkward positions so they could drop it from the height. Is, do we know. need to go to knee height from shoulder length? I I didn't think we need to do that. You know, it's funny. I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan. I remember Tony Pena was a catcher, and he used to get down this yes. really weird one-leg-out type thing. I mean, his knee was about two inches off the ground. I'm waiting for a guy to get down there in a position like that and just kind of drop it off his knee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's amazing. These guys, they're probably very good dancers. They have some good moves with the knees. They can get really down there. and. I have the flexibility of a brick, so I really can't get down that far. So, John, when you're working with your students now, what what what's the most common mistake that you see amateurs consistently making with with our swings, out, whether it's on the range or maybe it's different out on the golf course? What are the mistakes, and how can we fix it? So, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, and especially this time of year, like I said before, is a lot of, a lot of people are, are really focusing on their short games. And what I see so many times is this lean, if you're right-handed, leaning left on that left foot and getting the hands way ahead of the club head and moving the ball back. And everyone's just letting that club work real steep into the ground. And, boy, so many people, if they can learn how to use the bounce of a wedge and learn how to let that, that club shallow out and really not focus so much on hitting the ball, contact or you could even you could even hit it fat and still hit a good chip shot like hit behind it so i try to get my students to really understand how to get the club working back and forth not slam you know not digging the club down into the ground but just more of a almost like that back edge that not so much the leading edge but the back edge of the flange letting that skip off the ground you and they hit it's amazing it's almost chunk proof i'll tell them i'm like try to hit an inch behind it and they do, and the ball still will go out. So uh, that's one of the things I would say the most <laughs> egregious error, I think, in in around the greens is really getting those hands ahead and then taking that bounce off the club. We want to use the bounce. The bounce is our friend here. <laughs> Don't be and, mean and to your John, friend. To take that, <laughs> to take that one step further, when you're teaching your students, you know, when you're in that, you know, 10, 20 yards off the green, Right. And, mm -hmm. and let's let, for the sake of, of this example, let's say the pin's just in the middle of the green. 
what are you teaching them to do? Are, are you a more take a pitching wedge and, and bump and run it up there? Are you a sand wedge and let's, you know, fly it up there? Are you a, a lob wedge guy to get it way up in the air? And that, how, how do you tell your students to hit that golf shot? I'm, I'm yes to every one of those. It's, I think it's, it's something you have to ask the student. You know, some people are definitely afraid of that lob wedge. Some people feel more comfortable grabbing a seven iron and bumping it up and letting it run up on the green. It's all about what you feel comfortable with, what you can hit. And, and I, I will tell my students, let's hit this shot with three different clubs. Just to understand that you can, for lack of a better, you could, there's more than a few ways to skin a cat here. We can get this ball close to the hole in a different amount of ways. And I would encourage everyone listening, if, don't just reach for that sandwich that you always reach for. Next time you're out there practicing, bring a seven iron, bring a six iron, bring a hybrid, bring a lob wedge. Just think outside the box and try different shots. You'll be surprised that you can get the ball close a bunch of different ways. And, John, like I mentioned in your intro, you're the head golf professional at Alpine Country Club there in Alpine, New Jersey. For those of us who are unfamiliar with the club in the area, talk about your home club. Yeah, sure. Alpine is, we're kind of in the top right corner of New Jersey, right on the Hudson River, not far from New York City. It's a um, 1928 design, Tillinghouse design. As you can, as you know, a lot of clubs near us, such as Wingfoot, Ridgewood, all Tillinghouse golf courses. Um, it's a fantastic club. Uh, we were just named to one of the, uh, to a list of one of the most distinguished clubs in America by Boardroom Magazine, you know, to be recognized as providing a a member experience at a level attained by only the finest clubs. It's something that we're all very proud of. Uh, we're in the middle of actually doing a uh, pretty big clubhouse interior facelift. We're expanding our banquet area, giving ourselves some more versatility for members and our guests. And uh should be should be done by March. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, on our calendar this year, we're going to be hosting the U.S. Open local qualifying. So that'll be great, too. So uh, we'll have some of the best players from the Northeast at Alpine, trying to make their way to Pebble Beach this year. Should be fun. And, John, you do your own show with uh, Anita Marks on ESPN Radio up there in New York City. Talk about your show and how our listeners can find it and tune in. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, Anita and I, we, we did about uh, 25 shows last year together on ESPN. We tape out of New York City. You can find us on the ESPN app. Uh, the show is called On the Team. Uh, we had a, a great run this past year. We'll be kicking it off uh, Masters weekend this year. We had some great guests. Uh, Mike Tirico, Tony Finau, who had a great year. My hero growing up, Freddie Couples, uh, CBS Sports, Amanda Balionis, to name a few. It was really a great show. Um, so, yeah, check out ESPN, the app. Uh, if you're in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, maybe even a little bit near Philly, you can get us on 98.7. ESPN Radio on the FM dial, 6 to 7, every Saturday during golf season. And, John, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing with trying to follow you, whether it's on social media and then also trying to book a lesson as well? Sure. You can always please follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, John Mascari, PGA is my Twitter handle. Uh, as far as booking some lessons with me, you're Give us a call at the Alpine Country Club. Uh, AlpineCC.org is our website. has all of our contact information and emails on there. Well, Cuz, it's always fun spending some time with you. Thanks for coming back and uh, and being a part of the show, persevering through 
trying to get through on the guest line. I appreciate the effort very I know. much. I it's always have, uh, a lot of I fun. Not, I must have not paid my phone bill this month. I couldn't get through. <laughs> <laughs> so is it awkward for me to ask my cousin for some money to help out with the phone bill? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what family's for, right? If you there you go. If you yes, guess it's in the mail. With them, in the mail. Ask them right. for money. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, Chris. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you. I appreciate you, John. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Okay, pal. You as well. Have a good night. Yeah. You too. That's John Mascari. And again, uh, you can follow him online at John Mascari uh, PGA. It's, uh, he, he does some fun stuff on there. I enjoy following Mark. Or, I mean, uh, it's following John and uh, having him as part of the show. He's a lot of fun and uh, character. And check him out on ESPN Radio. Do, do find him on the ESPN app. Uh, his show is a lot of fun, as you can hear just from this amount of time. Imagine getting to, getting to spend more time with him. Outstanding stuff. Looking forward to having John back on the show soon. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out again to Owen Brown, Terry Kaler, and John Mascari for joining me tonight. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, and give me, you know, put a comment in there. You know, let me know if you've got a question for one of our previous guests or one of our future guests, and you can see our guest schedule out there on our website, nextonthetee.net. But let me know. Be glad to try to get that uh, question answered for you. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusha. That show airs live every Thursday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time right here on Blog Talk Radio. And that show like this one also available as a free podcast on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, and Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play podcast next on the T and boom, it's going to start playing for you. So check us out there as well. On Thursday night, Tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days and sharing their insights into what's going on around the league now. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. Both shows on their websites, ThursdayNightTailgate.com, this show next on the T.net. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We know you got a lot of shows and podcasts out there to check out and we really appreciate the fact that you're making part of and making us part of your golfing content until next week hit them straight my friends you've been listening to next on the g with chris mascaro where pga and lpga pros and top instructors